Well, good morning, church. What a blessing it is to gather again in this place today in this new year. Again, I want to say if it's your first time or second time or third time with us, welcome. Uh, We are so glad you're here. I know this time of year, uh, there are people who are looking for a church home, a a faith family to belong to. And and again, I'll I'll say it again, if if that's you, if you're looking for a church family, a faith family, we would love nothing more for for this to become that place for you. We would love nothing more than to get to know you, uh, to build a relationship with you, to walk with you. Um, we're just striving to live different, uh, to love each other well, to love God well, and to let the love of God make such an impact in our life that it changes the way we live. And if, if that's something you're striving for too, then we would love uh, to journey with you and, and we'd love to get to know you better. Uh, we're in the middle of a series we started last week called Next, and we're really just asking this question as the new year begins, what's next, what's next for you? As, you? as you think about the year ahead, we, we said last we want, we want to begin with the end in mind. So if you were to fast forward to the end of this year, what, what would you want to be true of you at the end of this year as you walk through this year? Uh, what do you hope is going to change? What do you hope is going to be different? What's gonna, what do you hope will be true of you at the end of this year? And let's begin with that in mind. And we said as a, as a faith family, one of the things that we want to be true for us is that we want to be a, a people who are reading not just scripture, that's, that's huge, but reading the words of Jesus. And letting the words of Jesus impact and change our lives. So we are in the middle of what we're calling our red letter challenge. It's, it's really simple. Every day to spend just a few minutes in the words, the teachings of Jesus, the red letters uh, of, of, of the Gospels there. And letting, letting those words saturate our lives and change our lives. And to not only listen to the words of Jesus, but then to ask how do we apply those to our lives? How do we follow Jesus? How do we take these words and allow them to make a tangible difference in our lives. And so if you haven't done it yet, it's not too late to jump on. You can download the Red Letter Challenge. You can pick that up in the, in the foyer on your way out today. would love for you to join us this month as we journey through the words of Jesus together. We want to talk about that, but today we want to talk about uh, the next part of that. Not just that we want to be a people who, who are reading Scripture daily, reading the words of Jesus daily, but I want, we want to talk about this too. How do we this year be a people who give faithfully? How do we read daily, but how do we also this year be a people who give faithfully? Now, I know if if you're here and you're not normally here, you're probably thinking, oh man, I came on the wrong Sunday. They're talking about money. They're talking about giving. And uh, and maybe you did come back next week. It'll be better, I promise. Um, I want you to know, though, whether whether you're here every week or you're here for the first time, we're not talking about giving today because we have a financial need. There's not going to be a special contribution after this message. We're not going to, going to we don't have anything that we're, we're hoping will happen today. If, if you give X amount of dollars, that's not why we're talking about giving. We're talking about giving because Jesus talked about giving in the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout this month, we're leaning into his, his teachings there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and, and asking the question, how do we take these words of Jesus then and apply them to our lives today? And this is one of the things that he talked about was money was giving, was our relationship with it and to it. And and just to prove that point, we did this last week, but I want to celebrate one more win with you today, one more victory or or story from from 2018. Last year, this time last year, uh, as a leadership, uh, we we wanted to to put forward a a budget that we thought was realistic, that was conservative, that we could meet. And the prayer was that we could meet or exceed uh, our budget for, for 2018. And so with the help of our finance team, we set uh, what we thought would, you would give last year, what we would give as a church last year. 
And that number, our budgeted giving for last year, the number that we thought that we would give as a church this time last year was $1,049,087. Now you may think that's a really strange number. Couldn't you have rounded up or rounded down or rounded off? Yes. Uh, But we have a great finance team and this is the number they gave us. And so our goal last year was to set a budget that we could meet, you know, zero balance. This is what we're going to spend and we're going to aim for that. And all year long, you can track along, you can see it in the bulletin how we're either above that or below that, or we're kind of where we're falling week in and week out. That's a, an effort for us to be more transparent with, with stewarding the, the funds and finances of this church. I, I, I can't tell you today how we came out in terms of our budget. We're still processing numbers from the end of the year and trying to figure out if we came in right at or right below. I don't think we came in over, but we'll know all that in a few weeks. But I can tell you, I can tell you what your actual giving was. Again, the budgeted giving for last year, what we thought you would give, would be $1,049,087. But I think we can celebrate this together, that your actual giving, our actual giving for 2018, was $1,126,331. If you're not good at math, that's $77,244 more than what we thought, yeah, would be given. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? That's incredible. I think that's exciting Uh, for a couple of reasons. The main one is this, that there is a spirit of generosity rising in this church. And we talk about it all the time, but we talk about it because it's true. That as a church, this this is something that is true of Riverside. And it's not, you need to know this, this is not true of every church. This is not true of every place. I've, I've, I've talked to other, other people that do what I do, and, and they have very different stories to tell. But this is true of us. This is true of you, that you are a church of uncommon generosity. So today, as, as, we, as we lean to the words of Jesus again about, about giving, we're not talking about it because, because you're not giving enough. Now, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. That's really up to you and between you and God. That's not the reason we're talking about it today. We're talking about it, not because we have a need, but because you do have a need. All of us have a need to grow in our giving. And so I want to talk about this from a, a very practical perspective. And I want to start with a very practical question today. And it's this question. How could God reveal his faithfulness to you this year if you were to give faithfully to him every month? That's a real practical question. I want you to think about it. How could God reveal his faithfulness to you this year if you were to give faithfully to him every month. I want to start there because I'm starting from an assumption. I'll put that on the table. I'm I'm guessing that this is true, that if you're here today, if you're in the room today, that if you're watching online, a lot of people watch online, if 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 you're engaging this today, it's because you have a desire to grow in your relationship with God. That this year, something that you hope is going to be true for you is that you're going to grow in your faith. That you're going to experience God in, in some new way. That you're going to go deeper with God. That you're going to long and be desperate for his presence. And, and you're going to experience him in a whole new way this year. And I want to tell you that if that's true of you, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in your relationship with God, one of the tried and true ways to do that is to grow in your giving. Ask anyone who has ever given from faith. And they will tell you, when you give from faith and you pray, God... I'm going to give this from faith, but then I'm counting on you. And then God provides, your faith always grows. And so giving from faith matters, no matter your financial situation today. If if, if things are going well for you today, or if you're struggling to make ends meet today, the same is true for you, no matter where you're coming from, that when you give from faith, your faith will always grow. This is this is one of the ways God grows our faith. And that's that's one of the reasons that I want to talk today about this whole idea. 
uh, over the holiday break, um, because Alicia and I, and I are still our parents, we wanted to, uh, to help our kids not spend every moment on screens. And so we did what a lot of you, you did. We, we took breaks and we, we got out the board games. And we were at my parents' house over Christmas. And one of the board games we got out to play was the game Monopoly. And this was fun because my kids had never, ever played Monopoly before. So this was a, a whole new experience for them. They loved the Monopoly money. They loved the idea that every time you pass to go, you got $200. They're like, is this how it works in the real world? No, but it's still a pretty, pretty neat deal. And, and then they figured out how to, how to buy properties. And then if you land, someone else landed on your property, you got to collect rent. And, and if you put a house in there, the rent went up. And their little business spirits were kicking in. And they were really enjoying the game. And, and I was trying to make deals. I'm like, I know I landed on your property. And I know I owe you this rent. But I could buy that from you and maybe promise that if you landed on it then, then I wouldn't charge you rent. They wouldn't take it. They were too business savvy for me. They were making deals with everybody but me. I couldn't get a deal made. And, you know, we kept playing and the kept, game kept going on. And finally it got late that night and we had, to, we had to stop the game. And, of course, the question was, you know what the question was, right? Who wins? Yeah. H- how do you win this game? Who wins, Dad? And I was like, oh, well, let's, let's figure this out. So I pull out, you know, the app for, you know, the Monopoly cash and asset calculator, and I start going through everybody's financials. And we start doing the math and adding up the numbers to see who has the most. And the good news is, is that in my old age, one of my children should be able to take care of me. The other two, I'm not so sure about. (laughs) But I'm one for three, so that's why we had three kids. Um, We did the math, and Ella Grace, my middle daughter, she won the game. In fact, she hasn't lost the game yet. And so if anyone needs a business partner or a financial planner, uh, see her. Um, I I, I did not win, but that's okay. Uh, That's kind of how the story goes. Parker Brothers released this game, Monopoly, in, I think it was 1935. So for the past 85 years, generation after generation of kids who've played this games and, and games like this game, have learned this lesson, right? That it's the person that has the most cash and assets that wins. And this is, this is more or less our American ethic, is it not? This is how you win at life. You, you, you acquire the most. Whoever has the most cash, whoever has the most assets, that's the person who wins in life. That's the person who gets the, the title and the position and the authority. That's the person who has the influence and who gets opportunity. In the kingdom of the world, in the economy of the world, this is how it works. The winners are those people who acquire the most cash and assets, and everybody else, well, you're the losers. The problem with that, there's a lot of problems with that, but one of the problems with that, and you know this, everybody knows this, even people who aren't people of faith know this, is that acquiring more cash and acquiring more stuff doesn't bring lasting joy. Everybody's kind of figured this out. You know this. People in the world know this. Some of the most wealthy people in the world are some of the most miserable people to be around. And conversely, some of the poorest people in the world are some of the most joyful people to be around. We know this isn't true. And we know that, that this is true, that when you die, when all is said and done, you don't get to take any of it with you. It all goes away. You don't get to keep the cash. You don't get to keep the, the properties. It all goes away. So why in the world do we, especially us in this room who are people of faith why do we keep striving for more and more and more when we know that more doesn't bring us joy more doesn't bring us life and the more that we acquire down here isn't lasting i think this is why when jesus gathered his first disciples there 
to teach them and tell them what the kingdom of heaven is like and, and really how life is supposed to work. He talked about this. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. And I want you to hear today what Jesus said about this whole idea. Maybe these are words you've heard a hundred times before, but I want, you to, I want to invite you to listen in again to what Matthew says about treasure, about money, about wealth, about material possessions. In Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. So if you did the red letter challenge this week, then, then like me, on day four, you got to this passage. Every morning I was reading the red letters uh, to my kids, with my kids, and, and, and I think it was Thursday morning we read day four of the red letter challenge, and we read these words, and after every reading, I would always ask the same thing, you know, hey kids, you have any questions, anything Jesus said today that really, you know, spoke to you, or you have a question about it, or you're curious about it, or you want to know more about? And I read this passage, and then my daughter Emma, my youngest daughter, spoke up and said, yeah, I have a question, Dad. She's like, how do we do that? I'm like, how do we do what? How, how do we store up treasures in heaven? And I said, isn't that a great question? How do you do that? How do you store up treasures in heaven? We know how we store up treasures on earth. We've got that down. We've got that figured out. You store up treasures on earth by getting all you can get, by acquiring all you can acquire for yourself. So maybe just maybe storing up treasures in heaven isn't about getting. Maybe it really is about giving. Maybe it isn't about acquiring all I can acquire. Maybe it's about blessing. And maybe it isn't about me. Maybe it's about others. And I get it. It's really hard to talk about giving in a in a period of time when our government is partially shut down and when people aren't getting paid and when people are losing their jobs or facing unemployment. And I know that's affecting people in the room today. I get that. But I think we all know that this principle is true, that even in the most difficult seasons of life, this is true. Joy is never found in giving. Joy is always, always found in giving. And I think this is what Jesus is pointing us to, that this is not just the way to joy, this is the way to life. Jesus himself, he could have lived a life of getting. He could have lived, he was the king of kings. He could have lived in a castle. He could have had everything he wanted, but Jesus himself chose to live a life of simplicity. Why? Because Jesus knew this is the way to real joy. This is the way to, to real life. This is where life is found. It's not found in the treasures of earth. And he doesn't say it's wrong to have the treasure of earth. He just said that's not where life, that's not where joy is found. Store up your treasures in heaven. The treasures of earth, they're not even built to last. What's amazing, what's mind-boggling is that a tiny moth can destroy the things that we hold valuable. Rust can deteriorate the things that we ascribe worth to. Thieves can break into seal the things that we're trying to hold on to. Jesus' question is, why are you ascribing so much worth to things that are here today and gone tomorrow? He's not questioning treasure. He's questioning the treasure that we treasure. And maybe the fact is we're treasuring the wrong kind of treasure. Jesus says, don't treasure the things of earth. They're so temporary. 
They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. Treasure, treasure things of heaven. But I think our problem is, is that we want both, right? I'll just speak for me, and you can decide for yourself. I think my problem is I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want the, I want the treasures of earth, and I want the treasures of heaven. But here's the test. If you could have the treasures of earth, if you could have the bank account you wanted, if you could have the house you wanted, the car you wanted, the clothes you wanted, the shoes you wanted, the vacation you wanted, the Instagram pictures to go with it that you wanted... If you could have all of that, or you could have Jesus, which would you choose? This is the way Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's either or or. Which, which would you choose if you could only have one? Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Jesus says your treasure is what you set your heart on, and what you set your heart on is what you set your, uh, fix your eyes on. Jesus says it this way in verse 22. He says, your eye is it's like a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. In the days of Jesus, the common Jewish thought, the way people thought back then, was that the eyes were a, a window and that light passed through them. But, but unlike the way that we think, they thought that your eyes were, were like a lamp. And so light came from you and projected through you onto what was in front of you. And so Jesus is saying and there's this connection there with spiritual goodness and light. That if that spiritual goodness, if, if the treasures of heaven is what you're seeking, that is light that's filling every fiber of your being and flowing through you and projecting onto everything in front of you. Isn't that a beautiful way to think about light and the treasure of heaven? But if you set your eyes, if you set your heart on the treasures of earth, then what fills you is darkness and what comes from you and what you see before you is colored with darkness and how deep that darkness really is. What's really interesting is that Jesus uses these two words, healthy and unhealthy. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. So when your eye is healthy, that we think that Jesus has changed, you know, concepts or changed ideas here. He's changed subjects, but he hasn't. He's still talking about the treasures of heaven and the treasures of earth. Uh, the word healthy there is actually an economic word. It's, it's the Greek word uh, haplous, which is, it means generous. So literally, Jesus says, when your eye is generous, then your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, that's the word poneros. That means stingy. So when your eye is stingy, your whole body is filled with darkness. The people of light are the people who have set their eyes on being people of uncommon generosity. And this is what God has called, this is what Jesus is calling us to be. People who are filled with light, people whose eyes are set on the treasures of heaven. People who are living lives of uncommon generosity. But he says you have to choose. Verse 24, Jesus says, no one, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God 
and be enslaved to money. Again, the idea in the days of Jesus was that there was only one God. Every day you would pray the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Shema Israel, Elohim, Adonai, Elohim, Echad. This, our God is one God, there is no other God, so you cannot serve two gods. That's not an option. You can only serve one God. You cannot serve God and money. He didn't say you couldn't have money. He couldn't say it's wrong to have treasure. He's just saying you can't let that be your Lord and master. You can only have one Lord. You can only have one God. You can only have one master. Sometimes I think we've mistakenly thought that the call of Jesus is a call to poverty. And you can follow Jesus in poverty. You can even choose poverty as a way to follow Jesus. But the call of Jesus, I think, might be better stated as a call of simplicity and a call to sacrificial giving. What's amazing to me is if you read scripture, what you find is that over and over again, there are followers of Jesus who are people of means, people of wealth. We know for a fact that Jesus' ministry was supported by a group of affluent women. You ever think about that? How did Jesus pay for stuff? How did he get from here to there? How did they have money to eat and places to stay? There was a group of affluent women that, that, that resourced his ministry. We know for a fact that his disciples left their jobs and their possessions to follow him. We know that Jesus had interaction with a man named Zacchaeus who became his follower, who was a wealthy man, gave half of his possessions to the poor, then threw a party for Jesus, much like Matthew did when Matthew started following Jesus. We know that Joseph of Arimathea was a man of means who had a brand new tomb that Jesus borrowed for three days. He didn't need it long. Don't you love that? It was Joseph of Arimathea who went and risked his wealth and his title and his position to take down the body of Jesus, and he wasn't alone. Another man named Nicodemus also risked what he had, his title, his position, his wealth, his family, to go and help Joseph take the body of Jesus down and bury it in that borrowed tomb for three days. People of means in Scripture were followers of Jesus. Here's what I noticed about every one of them, though. Every one of them was willing to use their means and even risk their means, if necessary, for Jesus. Why? Because that treasure wasn't their treasure. Their treasure was Jesus. And they knew that when Jesus said this, it was true. If you skip down to verse 33, Jesus says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek his kingdom above all else. It's the treasure of heaven we're after. And live righteously. There it is again. Do what's right. Do what Jesus says. Listen to the red letters and then follow. Do what he says. And when you do that, you will have everything that you need. Jesus is challenging us to love and to seek his kingdom, his way, above all else. So I think the question then becomes this. What does your giving, what does your giving reveal about where your treasure really is? Does our giving revealed that the kingdom of heaven is at the center of our hearts and our lives. And that's a question only you can answer. But I want to ask you to have the courage to ask it. Does your giving demonstrate, communicate to God that his kingdom and his son and his church is at the center of your life and your heart? How could 
God reveal his faithfulness to you this year? If you gave faithfully to him every month. Jesus begins by saying, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And then he ends by saying, seek the kingdom of God above all else. I think what Jesus is asking is, hey, will you, would you put your trust in me? Would you just put your trust in me? Our tendency is to put our trust in ourselves, in our own talent, in our own ability, in our own resources. But Jesus is saying, would you, would you just for once put your trust in me? In fact, when Jesus says you can't serve two masters, you can either serve God or money, you can't serve both the word money there, the word welfare, it's really the word mammon, which literally comes from the word trust. Where's your trust? And when we give, this is what we communicate. We communicate, I trust you. When we give, we communicate your kingdom and your son and your church and your mission in the world is at the center of my heart and my life. And I trust you. We communicate that Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. And I believe that your church, as imperfect and as flawed as it is, your church is your plan to bring your kingdom from heaven to earth and to point everyone to the only God who saves. This is what we communicate when we give. And I don't know about you, but man, I, I just want this to be true of me. That my life would communicate to God that my hope and my trust is in you. And it's not in me. My hope and my trust in my world, what's at the center of all of that, is not, is not me. Because if that's the case, man, I'm, I am, I'm up against it. I don't have a chance. I want the center of my heart and my life and my world and my family and, and all that I am and all that I know to be this truth. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe Jesus is absolutely who he says he is. And I believe his church is his plan to point the whole world to the only God who saves. And that I trust him. How could God reveal his faithfulness to you if you were to give faithfully to him? I think Jesus knew this was true. I believe this is true. We give to what we love. We give to what we love. And if you want to know what you love, then look to what you give. You love your kids? Yeah. You love yourself? Your receipts might say more than you would like to admit. <laughs> what do you love? We give to what we love. And I think Jesus is asking in the sermon, do you love me? Do you choose me? Do you believe me? Do you trust me? We give to what we love. So today I actually do have a next step. Last week the next step was let's read the red letters together. We want to continue that, but I want to add another layer this week and invite you to think about this as a potential next step. I don't know about you, but in our family, we automate what's important. Uh, when it comes time to, to sit down and talk about our money as a family, what Alicia and I have decided that it's a whole lot easier to automate some things than it is to remember to write a check every month. And so when it comes to things like the mortgage or the light bill, it's automated. We automate what's important. 
And so this may or may not be for you, but I'd like to just suggest it, that what if you automated your giving? What if you went online, you can do this through our website, or you can do this through your own bank, but you can automate your giving and set it up so that every month you've already thought about, you've already prayed about, you've already decided, God, this is what I'm, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm prepared to do, this is, what, this is the planned percentage of my income that I want to give to the church as a demonstration, as a communication that my hope and my trust is in you. So what if you were to automate your giving? Some of you, I know, you think that feels less spiritual than putting a check in a basket. That's fine. <laughs> you can give however you want. Some of you feel like if you don't put a check in the basket when, you know, the, it comes by, you need to raise your hand and say, I gave online already. <gasps> we'll make up some cards for that, you know, participation you know, awards, you know. <gasps> I get it. But I think this is true. I think it's important to think about that we make a decision, a commitment this year. What if, what if you could say this at the end of this year, that I gave faithfully to God every, every week, every month, however you give. And then how could God reveal himself to you if you were to commit yourself faithfully to that? I, I can almost guarantee you, you would see God move in a way in your life that maybe you haven't seen before. And if you don't believe me, talk to someone who's done this and they can tell you. It happens. God has a way of showing up. God has a way of, of being faithful over and over and above your expectations whenever you give to him. And I'm not saying give to the church and give to God and watch him double your income next year. That may or may not happen. I don't know if it does. Fantastic. What I will say is that you will grow in your faith, that God will provide for you, and he will show up for you in ways that he hasn't maybe before because you put your faith in him. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand. At the end of Monopoly, you take all the money, you put it back in the bank, you take all the houses and hotels and you throw them back in the box. You stack up the cards and you walk away. You know why? Because it wasn't real. It didn't matter. It doesn't last. And a day or two later, nobody cares. In life, it's kind of the same way. When it's all said and done, the cash goes back, the properties go away. And none of it lasts, with this exception. What you gave, it has an eternal impact. And Jesus says, you've stored up treasures in heaven. And the reality is, is you and I will never know what hangs in the balance of our decision to be obedient and faithful to God in our giving. But I do believe that one day, when we see him face to face, we will know. We will know that we could trust him. And we will see what God was able to do through your gift and my gift to make a difference in the kingdom because of our generosity. And when we give, the most powerful thing about it is that we reflect the heart of our Father. John 3.16, maybe the most famous red letters in our Bible. For God so loved, he what? He gave. And when we give, we reflect the heart of our God. Let's sing.